Hello, church. It is so good to be with you today. We do have visitors from all over the area and some special visitors that we are we're honored that you would come and be a part of us today. You, have, you were very welcoming to us last Friday, and we appreciate that. Uh, hospitality matters, does it not? And especially in a world like today. We're going to hit this fast and furious um, because the last thing we want to do is make the visitors stay here so long they're wondering why they showed up. So... <clears throat> This, uh, a couple of weeks ago now, there was a poll issued on the religious life of the people of Scotland, and it was shocking. So shocking it made international news. 60% saying that they have no religion. When I left Scotland in 1985, there about 50% of the people said they belonged to the Church of Scotland, what would be in America the Presbyterians, 50%. 32 years later, that number has around 20% and dropping. No other religion is filling up that gap. People are just turning their back on religion. The fastest growing religious group in America right now describe themselves as no religion, the nuns. One out of six so far, and that came out of nowhere. They don't claim to be atheists or agnostics. They just kind of shrug and say, it doesn't matter to us. They've walked away from the idea of God. It's not just growing in America, it's growing in all areas of the developed world. We used to be able to make cultural assumptions that our neighbors had some sort of religious faith, that they had some sort of a moral compass, that they had rules about this is proper behavior and this is not proper behavior. We had at least a cultural assumption that these things were in play. We cannot assume that anymore. We cannot assume that there are certain tenets and certain precepts that are accepted. I believe that means instead of running to hide in the cave, that we need to step up and say it's time to talk about God again. It's time to bring him into our conversations. Sometimes I kid and talk about how as an introvert and somewhat of a loner, flying in airplanes is awful because there's nowhere to go and their talkers find me. They are talkers, and sometimes they're touchers, too. They just keep reaching over, touching. I'm just, you know, I, I want to, and I've kidded saying, what I'm going to do is just wear a shirt that says, ask me about Jesus, and everybody will leave me alone. <laughs> because we don't talk about this in the public sphere very much, and, and yet, let's just look at a proverb. Proverb 23. He is the kind of person who's always thinking about the cost talking about a wise person, always thinks about the cost. I wanted to start with that one because I work a lot with law enforcement officers, military groups and the like, and one of the things, especially if they're going through PTSD, one of the first things I have them do is an exercise to write down on a piece of paper what they would die for. And this may seem a bit morbid to some of you, but actually these people are quite prepared for this. And they'll write it down. And then they expect it to be discussed in the class, and I never do. Near the end of the class, I'll tell them, pull out that paper. Read it quietly to yourself. Now, go live for those things. Very often, we're willing to die for stuff we haven't lived for. We've not engaged, and we've not in, uh, invested in it. We'll say, I'll die for that. Well, what have you done for it? Will you live for it? God wants, uh, again and again, to tell us, think about the cost. 
What is the cost of talking about God, but also what's the cost of not talking about God? Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living, and I absolutely agree with that. If there was ever a time to know what and why we believe, now is that time. Because when you're surrounded by people that do not believe there is an ultimate authority, a God, then you really belong to the loudest voice in the room. You really belong to the latest fad in the room. We need some grounding. What you believe matters. I'll even go further. It might be the only thing that matters. What you believe might be the only thing that matters because your beliefs shape every single decision, whether or not to marry, whether or not to have kids, every choice you make, how I should go from here to there. Should I drive? Should I take a bus? Should I fly? Should I walk? What's, what are the costs involved? And you, you start working it out. What are your beliefs? I know of many people who are so afraid of flying that they will drive for days to get where they want to go. And I'll sit down and say, you are aware that the most dangerous part of any flight is the drive to the airport, especially in Nashville. Oh, my goodness. Briley Parkway, a little preview of hell for those that, uh, that doubt. <laughs> are you, are you, you are aware of this, but their beliefs that somehow the flight is unsafe means that they put themselves in danger on the road. What you believe matters. Every choice you make, every choice is largely determined by the ideas that are rolling around in your head. So it might be wise to think about those ideas every so often and see if they're right. Not only are we directed by the things we believe, we're also directed by the things we don't believe. We, uh, we have standards and we'll say, I draw lines. They, the staff will call me Captain Boundaries because every so often they'll come up with something I'll go, no. Why? Because I don't want to. Uh, it's just, no, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a line right here. This is what I do. And I used to work with a guy that was a, a, a captain in the U.S. Navy, and we called him uh, Dr. No, because he had learned to use the word no. He said, no, I don't do that. Excellent. Wonderful. Know what you believe, what you don't believe, because that's in the driver's seat in your life. That's determining what you're going to do today. Your ideas are the most powerful force in your universe. They shape your day, your behavior. And if you can get enough people to sign on to your ideas, you can change the world. And that's not always a positive thing. Ideas would include things like democracy, communism, racism, slavery, social justice. All of these things are ideas. Some of them are obviously horrible ideas. But if you can get enough people to sign on with you, you can change the world, for better or worse. We need to make sure we're not making it worse. As the, the writer of Proverbs also told his sons, make level paths for your feet. It's another way of saying, don't make this harder than it has to be. Just don't do that. We constantly need to re-examine our theology. We constantly need to think about what we believe. Theology just means a study of God. And it was once called the queen of sciences because it was believed that you could not really understand any science unless you first knew God because God was the author of all science and everything else. And so 
if, if you were to get a degree in chemistry or biology or geology or law or literature or any of these things, before you could be called educated, you also had to understand theology. As some the, uh, scientist once said, science is merely following God's tracks after him. We were just looking to see what God did. The scientific method was created by men and women who believed in God, who knew theology. Francis Bacon, Isaac Newton, Blaise Pascal, Louis Pasteur, we could go on and on. They believed that science was figuring out what God was doing so we could join in and be a part of God's story. They didn't consider science and technology and science and religion to be at odds. They, they thought they were the same thing. I do too. But the fact is, your theology, what you believe about God, colors everything you say and do. Everything. One stark example that only the old people in here can remember, and I'm one of you, so I can. Most of my memories never happened, but this one I remember. You ever get to that stage, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm about to hit that stage. Cosmonaut Titov was sent up into orbit by the Soviet Union. They, the Soviet Union beat us up there, right? And he looked, and one of the things he said when he came back was, I, am high, I was high in the sky, and I still did not see the face of God. Because they have an atheist society. After a while, some Americans are fired up there, and they read these passages. Let's go to Psalm 19.1, and then we're going to hit Psalm 139, and then Psalm 14. The heavens declare the glory. This is read from, from a, um, a government-sponsored space capsule. Things have changed. The, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. They both saw the same data. Some saw God. Some did not. It's a matter of what do you believe. What do you believe? It drives everything. Jean-Paul Sartre, um, if you don't know who he was, don't worry. You, if, you need to, uh, if you have a sleeping disorder, read his books, because that'll, that'll fix it. But he had some, he had some pithy sayings. He said the, the basic philosophical question is, why is there something rather than nothing? That's what drove me back to faith. Because in science, I could, not, I could not account for something from nothing. You know, the, the standard story I'd been told was once upon a time there was nothing, then it blew up, and now we have pandas. And I, I felt like the story had holes in it that I needed, I could not fill. But with a God, if we believe in God, the fact that something is doesn't trouble us at all. We just want to join it the way God wants us to join it. We believe when we open Genesis, we see no long involved argument about the existence of God. Rather, we just say, in the beginning, God. What did he do? He created. Now we know. Not only did he make everything, he spoke everything into existence except for one thing. You. He made you with his hands. The scripture says he spoke everything to, into existence, but when it came to man and woman, 
He formed them by hand. You're special. You're not a tree. You're not a monkey. You're not a fish. You're created in the image and likeness of God. That's why when visitors come here, we say, welcome home. That's why we love you. We decided to love you before we met you. And you've offered us hospitality. We've offered you hospitality. And we believe that means forever we are bound to each other. Because you are made in the image of our God. And we, we don't... I've had people say, you know, that person over there is a problem. No, they're not. They're a person. They're made in the image of God. God loves them as much as he loves me. He spent as much time working on them as he has on me. We need to treat each other that way. And think if your theology leads you that way, how much more peaceful the world is. Whenever you realize that's not a problem, that's my friend. That's a person God made. The Bible says that God speaks to us through two books. Not what you're thinking. Hang on. One is Scripture itself. That would be special revelation. The other would be general revelation, and that is by the world that he made. Take a look at, uh, and, at both of these. We'll start with Second Peter chapter 1. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. All right, that's special. That comes from above. But there's another book. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. I was looking out the front doors here this morning and turned to the guy beside me, a friend of mine, and I said, I love crepe myrtles. And he looked at me kind of surprised. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm not assumed to like flowers. Uh, I, I, here I show a tender bet and didn't work. Anyway, I, I said, I, I love crepe myrtles. He goes, really? And I said, yeah. We've tried to grow them other places we've lived. They only grow in the South. We've tried it in Ohio and Michigan, Colorado. They, they, they won't do that. I learned a long time ago, I can't even grow a crepe myrtle, much less make one. We are made by God. And when we look at this world, we have no excuse for looking at that and saying, you know, that's probably just a big cosmic accident, that is. Really? When was the last cosmic accident you heard of that produced life or anything good? There is a God, and that matters. When you look at nature enough, I think you can look at it like God the artist. Now, my wife, God bless her, she suffered much, living with me for 38 years. And, you know, she's American. She could have called immigration. She could have done a lot of things. But anyway, (laughs) there she is. She's an artist, and she loves art. And for years, she tried to get me to understand art, and that was, that was sad. That was very, that's like, that's like trying to use a screen bowl. It's just not going to work. But I learned enough to when I look at a painting, I can, if it's, if it's a Rembrandt, I can pretty much tell you that it is. If it's a Van Gogh, which we pronounce Van Gogh in Scotland for reasons I've never understood, uh, I can, uh, that one, I know that one. 
And oh, and neither of those look like a Renoir. When you look in nature after a while, you start seeing how God uses elegant solutions for things like knees, feathers, bone structure. How he works this, and it shows a wise and a detailed and creative God. And while argument from design is often dismissed by atheists, they'll say, you know, the universe is so vast, one planet had to get it right. That's not true. If you don't understand that, math, math is... Math is, math's pretty picky. If I have a coin, a quarter, and I flick it, what are the odds it's going to fall heads or tails? Well, 100%. It will be heads or tails. What are the odds that it will fall heads? One out of two. What if I flip that coin 50,000 times, and every time it lands heads, what are the odds the next flip? 50%. And the idea that we have a huge universe, so one of the worlds had to actually spontaneously create us and um, Walmart, and no, no, I'm not really sure Walmart is an evolution. It, it could be, but um, remember last Christmas, it was so slammed that they momentarily considered opening up a second register, but <laughs> cooler heads prevailed. I was in the self-checkout line the other day thinking, not only am I shopping at Walmart, I now work at Walmart. <laughs> no, all the universes out there doesn't mean that one of them has to develop this. In fact, you know how fragile life is? If the electromagnetic force of atoms were weakened by a mere 4%, the sun would explode. That's not optimal. That would be bad. In case you're wondering why the diprotangent has a bound state. And it would increase similar, uh, solar luminosity by a factor of 10 to 12, and we can't handle that. Or how about this? If the same electromagnetic forces were that much stronger, not lesser, there'd be fewer stable atoms, and the entire universe would turn into one big atom bomb. That's a 4% variation. Let's, let's even get more technical. What if proteins were 0.2% heavier? Well, they'd decay into neutrons. That's not good. <laughs> that means they could no longer hold on to electrons, which means, once again, whole universe atom bomb. 0.2% lighter, a proton. What, there are snakes out there that are not poisonous, but like to fake that they are. I, I believe all snakes are deadly. Um, <laughs> if they can give you a heart attack, that's a deadly snake. Um, but... <laughs> But there are, there are snakes that, that rest in leaves so that when predators come, they will move around in the leaf to mimic the rattle of a rattlesnake and frighten off predators. How about snapping turtles that just sit out there and stick their little tongue out and wiggle it like a worm? They're fishing. Angler fish that use bioluminescence. Um, bacteria with their metabolism are throwing off light. And they've got a little thing there. And they hang it out, and whenever other fish come to see the light, they eat them. How is us? This didn't happen. This, there, there's a whole set of complexities. The bones in a raptor versus a non-raptor. If you don't know what that means, a, um, a bone, bird bones are hollow. Uh, that keeps them very light. Unless you're a raptor, like a hawk or an eagle, then you actually have braces within the bones. Because if you didn't, when they swoop down and grabbed a mouse, the G-force would break their bones. Once again, not optimal for the bird, even if it would be for the mouse. 
it, the design is amazing. And then we turn to special revelation, Scripture. God did not reveal himself to us all at one time, and that's good. Our wee brains could not have handled that massive data dump. He didn't dump a scientific treatise on Moses, but instead, he, cre he corrected the prevailing myths that said the world was started by war between gods, and they ate each other, and they were spitting out parts of each other that became the universe, and no, this universe was not created by accident, Moses, God tells him, or by the broken bodies of gods, but by the will of God who planned it, designed it, and wants you a part of that story. He wants you to walk the story. What we believe about this matters because if I believe that you are an accident of evolution, I have no reason to treat you kindly. It's survival of the fittest, buddy. Whoever can get to that parking place first gets it. Whoever can get that dollar first gets it. But if I believe that you are created in the image of God, I've got, and that one day I'm going to see God, I had better not see God having spent my life beating up his kids. One of the reasons I tell people, we, we used to do a lot of marriage seminars, and people would say, "How you and Cammie get along so well, how do you do it? I said, one of the reasons is start craving fear. Because one of these days, I'm going to meet God, and Cammie's a daughter of God. And I don't want him to look at me and say, let's talk about how you've been treating my daughter. Well, we have a son who's precious to us as well. She knows I'm God's son. So we treat each other accordingly. We, we hope we treat everybody that way. But I'm going to ask you to do something. You ever see me not treating somebody that way, call me on it. You'll be doing me a favor. Because I want to be a part of God's story. I don't want to do it like Trace said a while ago, create my own little fiefdom and power and say it all centers around me. No, I want to be his story. We are made in his image by loving God. I want to just check, because I did not earlier. Do we have that little video clip? We do not. Okay. Uh, they're, they're all looking at each other. We do not. We were going to do a video clip. Let me explain, because it was brilliant. It really was. It brought you to tears. You would have, anyway, um, <laughs> I'm, part, I'm part of a DNA project in Britain and have been for a long time. Now it's, it's spread to join in with Ancestry.com and 23andMe. One of the things that they have done, and you can find this, you know, surprising uh, DNA result type thing. I'll tell you what, we'll put it in an e-blast link. You do, you do have it? Excellent. They found it. I shall step aside then. Just want you to take a look at something in general revelation. <laughs> she's looking, she's looking. I'm proud to be English. My family have served and we've defended this country and have been to war for this country. I'm, I'm really patriotic about Bangladesh. Well, I am 100% I am Icelandic, yeah, definitely. This is a Kurdish wedding with my mom in the traditional Kurdish clothes. We're just proud black, so that's it. Yeah, I think we are probably the best country in the world, if I'm honest. Think about other countries and other nationalities in the world. Are there any that you, you don't feel you, you get on with well or you, you won't like particularly? Germany. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the Germans. You might think they're a little bit... Particularly India and Pakistan, probably, because of the whole, you know, the conflict. Because I have this side of me that's like, that hates mm. Turkish people. Not, not people, 
but the government. But French? Nah. We're just best, you know, it's just fact. I'm more important than you. I don't know you, but in my opinion, I am strong and I am, I am more important than a lot of people. How would you feel about taking a journey based on your DNA? Um, yeah, I feel very uh, intrigued. What could you possibly tell me that I don't know? So do you know how DNA works? So you get half from mum and half from dad. So 50% from each of them, and they get 50% from their parents. And back and back and back. And all those little bits of your ancestor, they filter down to make you, you. I need you to spit in this tube for me. We spit up to the little black line. That's a lot of spit. Right, the story of you is in that tube. What's it gonna tell me? It's gonna be, oh yeah, you're French, and yeah. wait, your grandparents are French, and wait. 100% Bengali. Solid Iraqi. I'm Cuban. <laughs> you gonna tell me that I'm English? Like I've told you. Jay, can you come down and join us? I'm a little bit nervous, I have to say. So you ready to find out your results? Will you read it out to us, please? Wow, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Caucasus? Which was uh, Turkish? Yeah. <laughs> Eastern Europe, Spain, Portugal, Italy, Greece. I'm 32% British. Yeah. <laughs> what? Great Britain, 30%. Can we? 5% German. I'm Irish. Yeah. So I'm a Muslim Jew. Great Britain, 11%. Are you sure these results are mine? Eastern Europe? <laughs> Iceland has definitely moved closer to Europe now. I'm going to go a bit far right now, but this should be compulsory. There would be no such thing as, like, extremism in the world if people knew their heritage like that. Like, who would be stupid enough to think of such thing as, like, a pure race? In a way, we're all kind of cousins, in a broad sense. Mm. In a much more direct sense, you have a cousin in this room. Mm -mm. Turn around and guess who it is. <laughs> Wash? Yeah, what's that? Why don't you come down here and oh meet your cousin? I did no idea. This is like I, my heart's pounding right now. I swear to God. <laughs> Jay from everywhere, but I'm used to this. <laughs> I'm a real man of the world.
Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. So would you like to travel to all of these places? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What you believe matters. It flavors every single thing you say and do. It determines how you treat each other. In the back, I'm going to skip forward a bit. By the way, when they turn down the lights and turn them back on, they do flicker a bit. Your medication has not stopped working. <laughs> I'm going to move on down to the last point because our time's running out and I don't want to hold you too long. The Bible uses the term one another over a thousand times. One another. At least 100 of those are in the New Testament. Be at peace with one another. Do not grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Don't challenge or envy one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another, and do not repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. And of course, by far the most common, love one another. There are times that people want to know, what is the will of God for my life? And I always ask them, why do you want to know that? Hasn't he already given you enough to do? Love God and love each other. I would submit to you that those two commands will keep you busy the rest of your life if you let them. We are one another. Would you stand, please? In a moment, we'll close with a song singing about love and love to one another. Again, we are so grateful that you joined us. May you have a life of peace and blessing, and may we be bound to each other in this life and forever in the love of Almighty God. I believe that the reason we suffer so much on this planet is we don't believe the right things. We say we do, but we don't. When I was a boy, every so often, they'd clear us out because they'd say the IRA may have put a bomb there. That's the Irish Republican Army. If, if they were to have walked in and said, there's a bomb here. And we looked at them and said, well, we believe it, but we didn't move. We don't really believe it. If you believe something, you're going to move. By the way, it always shocked me. I came back to America, and banks had signs asking if you'd funded your IRA. And I thought, well, that's completely... <laughs> that's irresponsible, that is. <laughs> what you believe matters. We say we love one another. So let's do so. God bless.